0: Hey, this fall season, we've actually been in a message series called Beautiful, Disappointing, Hopeful, that if anyone were to wonder what is a Christian story about, it's really these three words, beautiful, disappointing, and hopeful. But not only that, is this a description of the Christian faith and the Christian story, but it's also, in many ways, a description of what human life is like, because in many ways, Christian um, belief is, is rooted in what truth is, and a pursuit of truth. And really, we've been uh, talking about these two different questions. First, is Christianity true? Is it true to my experience? Is it true to what uh, I feel on a day-to-day basis? Um, And is it true as it relates to is the story actually true or is it some made-up fairy tale or some fable? Uh, And the second question that relates to it is, is Christianity compelling? If it's true, that's one thing. But is it also something that draws me? Is it something that's worth giving my life and orienting my life, my relationships, my future around? And really, as we've been investigating these questions, we've been exploring these different themes of beautiful, disappointing, and hopeful. And today, we're talking about the idea of life is disappointing. And uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring this idea how God created the world to be beautiful and everything in it. So nature itself is beautiful. Uh, culture is beautiful as it's created, as we image God and as we create and shape in the world and human beings created in the image of God, we we reflect that same kind of beauty and dignity and respect. And yet we come to the passage that was read earlier. After God creates Eden, uh, this place of beauty, um, sin enters the world. And last week we talked about how these temptations came to Adam and Eve, and the temptation was basically you can be like God. In other words, to not be content with God. Now, God, when God creates paradise, here's what Christians believe, uh, that God creates it with boundaries. Now, here's the thing. Some of you might be like, well, if God created paradise, and it's supposed to be um, this wonderful place, then God should just create it where you can do anything you want. Well, the reality is any kind of system inherently has boundaries to it. Uh, and the boundary that God had put for Adam and Eve was the, this boundary, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, could you imagine when I talk about this idea of boundaries, could you imagine if I were to say like the, like the, the system of playing basketball, can you imagine playing basketball but there are no boundaries, Uh, Yeah, it'd be really difficult to play because inherently in life and in systems, there are boundaries. And the, the boundary that God had given to Adam and Eve was there. Now, they're tempted, though, to disobey God and to not follow that boundary. And look at what happens in Genesis 3. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." Now, now, do you see the hints of what's happening for them? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, at one point, they had this relationship with God whereby they had an open, free relationship with God. But now you see they're covering themselves. They're hiding from God. Moreover, look at what it says. He answered, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. There's also fear that now has inhabited Adam and Eve in terms of their relationship with God. And look at what happens. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. So typical. Uh, sorry, I just, now guys, don't try this, right? Like, I mean, You see, like, all of a sudden he's starting to blame Eve. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now here what you see is we we call this the fall of man. Sin enters the world and already you see this disruption in the ways that God created the world to be. Now, all of a sudden, you see hints of shame. There's this hiding from God after they take from the tree. There's this fear. And then there's blaming. Blaming, Adam blaming Eve. Eve blaming the serpent. This is going everywhere. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I've realized about my own life. Because the effects of sin are shame, fear, uh, and blaming, I realized it for myself, as someone who grew up with a a great deal of shame, growing up in a larger family where we were all constantly vying for being uh, people who were accepted and loved in our family system and being the youngest of four, I grew up with a lot of shame, trying to prove myself. And when I would fail, I would feel even more shame. Growing up as a a Korean American in a largely predominantly non-Korean American neighborhood, this feeling of wanting to feel accepted and belonging. And so shame is something that's near, that's near to me. Now, here's what I've realized is that whenever I operate out of shame and insecurity, the worst version of me comes out. I become spiteful. Uh, I, I become demeaning towards others. I become very judgmental. I become harsh towards myself, which leads me to get depressed. I mean, it's amazing what shame can do. And yet, well, here's what we see is in this account, when sin enters the world, shame all of a sudden is shrouding around Adam and Eve. Not only that, there's fear He's afraid. Adam and Eve are both afraid. And I realize fear does the same things. When I'm operating out of fear and control, and I don't know what outcomes will look like or blame, part of the human condition is we have a tendency to blame others or to compare ourselves and to blame them. You know, one of my roles in our family is making breakfast for our children before they go to school. And so uh, as a result, uh, every breakfast is basically eggs and toast. So that's in my wheelhouse right there, eggs and toast. And so uh, there was one morning that I opened up the refrigerator to get out uh, an egg from the cart, and I got it out, and I took it out, and then I kind of bumped my hand against one of the shelves, and I dropped the egg, and it hit kind of a part of the refrigerator, and then it fell down, and it splattered all over the ground. And I remember I was like, Tina... Tina's my wife, by the way. Now, you're probably wondering why it was Tina's fault. Um, Well, it's because the night before, Tina and I, like, normally I go to bed before she does. And so I was like, I'm so tired. And so, but as I was about to go to sleep, she's like, oh, the new season of Lego Masters is out. I was like, oh, really? And she's like, I'm going to watch it. I was like, fine, I'll stay with you and watch it. So then I ended up watching it late at night. And then I was exhausted and tired. And so as a result, I ended up you know being really tired. My lucidity and my motor skills were a little bit hampered in the morning. And so, I mean, you can totally see this, right? Like So as a result, like the egg dropped clearly because of Tina. <laughs> and because she wanted to watch Lego Masters the night before. What is her problem? Isn't it crazy how the human heart is conditioned this way, we become a people who blame. Now, you see the the effects of sin entering into the world, shame, fear, blaming. Uh, Look at what the scriptures would tell us about the further effects of sin and brokenness. Check this out. It says, so the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And then it says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, let me stop there because some of you are like, what does that mean? And why is that a curse? Well, the idea of your desire, the word for desire, is this overpowering kind of desire. In other words, your desire will be to overpower Adam. And look what happens. It says, but he will rule over you. And history has told us the subjugation of women, the oppressive nature of women. Here's the thing. God created the world to be beautiful. Men and women, God created them to image God. And here's what sin does. Sin enters the world, and all of a sudden, women are now subjugated. And the history of our world and even the conditions of today are the ways that women are continually demeaned and dishonored in several different ways. Now, that's the effects of sin and the fall. Now, look at Adam. Look at the curse of Adam. Look at what it says to Adam. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. In other words, in every part of this beautiful world that God has created, there's going to be the vestiges of sin and brokenness. And as a result, there's despair and disappointment. There's thorns and thistles. And notice what happens. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. In other words, now here's the condition that Adam and Eve are left with. Yes, God created the world to be beautiful in nature and in culture and with people. But at the end of the day, there's always these marks of disappointment, of thorns and thistles, so that even in moments of life, and this is the common human experience, whether you're religious or you're not, every single one of us ex- experiences the discomfort of disappointment and pain and of thorns and thistles. Yesterday, I was at the youth retreat, and after the storm that came on Friday, I, it was up at Lake Champion in New York, and so I was looking out at this lake, and the the. the the weather cleared up, so it was absolutely gorgeous. So here I was, I was standing in this field, I was looking out at this lake, and especially after the storm that came on Friday, I looked at it and I was like, this is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, bzz, 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 like I heard these like mosquitoes, and I was like, oh no, like, you know, and uh, you weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, neither was I. Life is disappointing. It's even despairing at times. Even in moments that we experience beauty, there are these fleeting moments because life is also laced with thorns and thistles. I mean, you've experienced this before. I know that in our world we experience this. A couple weeks ago, I showed images of beautiful landscape around the world. Here's an image, for instance. Here's an image of a beach <laughs> like a beautiful pristine beach. I mean, this isn't this where all of us want to go and retire one day and you're just like, "Yes, this." And has this ever happened, right? You've you looked up what a beach looks like or a certain place and then you go to the beach and it ends up looking like this instead. Yeah, there's like there's pollution and there's it's not quite as beautiful as I anticipated. Or how about this image? It's an image of the Great Wall of China one of the man-made wonders of the world. You see this, and you're like, this is an architectural marvel. How in the world could anyone create something like this? And then you actually visit the Great Wall of China, and then you, you realize, whoa, there's, there's, like, there's like a lot of people in China. It's like a big country with a lot of people. Or, or how about the Mona Lisa, this timeless work of art? And you just kind of imagine one day being able to witness the Mona Lisa, be able to visit and stare for hours on end, the wonders of the Mona Lisa. And then you actually go to visit the Mona Lisa, and you get there, and you're like, you're like, I guess it was a lot of people's ideas to go visit the Mona Lisa. I can't even get that close. I just basically got a drive-by photo, um, and I should have just looked at a high-def pic on the internet. Life is full of disappointment. You know, one of the things my wife, when we got married, she was like, hey, listen, I love going skiing. Now, the thing is, our family, we never went skiing. We just didn't go on vacations or anything like that. It's like, listen, you got to go skiing sometime. It's, just, it's so much fun. And I'm like, Tina, like, I'm, I'm heavier than I look. So, like, when I fall, it's painful. And she's just like, listen, don't worry. You'll have a, a great time. You're, you're athletic as well. And so, as a result, when she says that, I'm like, you're, you're right, you know? And then, and then I, I see pictures like this, right? I see pictures of, like, someone skiing without a helmet. They're, like, dancing through the snow. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should go skiing. And then my first experience of skiing was more like this, though. It was, it was like, <laughs> just like, I've got a helmet on. I'm padded up. And yet, there I am in the snow. Even in what we might think is pleasurable or great or beautiful, all of life at different moments is laced with disappointment. Or or how about these ads? McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell. Anyone ever, like, you saw this ad of of McDonald's, a Big Mac, and you're like, that looks delicious. I can't wait to go eat it right now. Then you go and you order the Big Mac and you're like, this looks like a small Mac. What is this? (laughs) Or even a Whopper. You're like, this Whopper! And then you're like, wait, this does not look like the ad. Or the taco that doesn't quite look as full and as lush as a taco. We all have hints of these moments of disappointment. And even in things that are great and beautiful, it's a part of life. It's disappointing and painful. Cornelius Plantinga Jr., who's a theologian, he wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin, and he's a theologian from Calvin Seminary, and what he writes about is how when God created the world, he created it with shalom. Now, shalom is a word that, yes, it means peace, but it means more than that. It's it's a word for flourishing. If you can almost think of like an intricately woven piece of fabric that's brilliantly made, and that's what shalom is, this this fabric that's woven beautifully together. And when sin enters the world, it breaks apart that fabric. It begins to tear. And so as a result, this shalom then that had been created is all of a sudden becoming disintegrated, and the, the phrase that he uses as it relates to uh, the breaking of shalom is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so if you and I, we've ever hinted at these moments where you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, when storms come, like the storm that hit Friday, where so many lives were affected in the city, and then there's a part of us that's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Something happens in your family where there's a broken relationship And there's just a part of you, a longing that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Someone that you love experiences an illness and it comes out of nowhere after the person being in good health. And have you ever said to yourself, this is not the way it's supposed to be? We all experience this at one point or another. Aaron Rodgers only plays four plays. (laughs) Then he gets hurt on the season. You're like, this is not the way the world. Some of you didn't get that at all, but that's okay. We all have hints of this. Here's what Plantinga says. Check it out. He says, God hates sin, not just because it violates his law, but more substantively, because it violates shalom, because it breaks the peace, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be whether it's the personal sins that we carry, whether it's the way that the world has been broken. You know, in Romans chapter eight, even, the apostle Paul, he writes about how even the world that we live in has been broken apart. In Romans chapter eight, if we can, in Romans eight, he says, the world groans We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, it's not only human beings that are now broken and sinful. Not each one of us that make mistakes and out of shame and blaming and fear. We sin against ourselves and against God and against others. But the whole world actually groans. And so as a result, this tapestry of shalom that's broken, this is why we have hurricanes and earthquakes. Why? Because the world is groaning for redemption to be made right. Here's some images of some of the pain that we recognize that we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. On the top left, you know, the promises of social media was, this will be good for us. It will allow us to be a more connected people. And while there are benefits to social media, the reality is studies have shown that the more social media usage one has, the more depressed one is. Somehow, in the efforts to to connect people, what it's done is it's, it's carried on more shame and difficulty and comparison, especially in the next generation. Isn't it stunning how with all the innovation that we have, which was mentioned last week, all the scientific, technological innovation, and yet people are more unhappy than ever, struggling with mental illness like never before. There's something about innovation that the human heart has not still or yet been cured from. Or there's this image of racism, stop racism, The reality is racism and sexism and classism, all the ways that people can be judgmental towards one another, demean the image of God in one another. And there's a part of us when it comes to injustice in our society, in our city, and in the world around us, we say this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This image from the top right is an image of hunger, of hands Now, I know in a city like New York, perhaps some of us don't deal with food insecurity in Midtown, but in our city and around the world, there are people who don't have enough food to eat, nor do they have clean water. Now, here's what happens. Whatever happens within the human heart, there's a part of us that all of us, we say, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Picture in the middle on the right is a picture of a broken family and maybe that's what you've experienced a marriage that didn't make it or marriage that's on the ropes or relationship with a parent that has become estranged a relationship with a child or sibling or someone that's you're supposed to love and you're like gosh these relationships are so painful Maybe it's even with the church and your experience in church, the betrayal that you felt. And you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This picture in the bottom, in the center, is a picture from Hurricane Sandy in 2012 that devastated New York City. A hurricane that came, destroyed many homes, and upended so many lives. And I remember during that time just wondering and yearning as different friends were displaced, almost drowning And just thinking, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Or here's an image from Auschwitz in the bottom left concentration camps where children, Jewish children, were seen as less than people, many of whom lost their lives. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's interesting because we can blame other people, and uh, James Burtchild, in a documentary on the history of war, he says, in the history of war, no one ever claims to have fired the first shot. Because everyone else is who's evil and bad, and so we have to preemptively strike them. And Yet here's what happens. Sin is woven and laced through every human heart, through every society, even in the beautiful moments. And this is the puzzle, right, the predicament that whatever religious background you come from, we all face this problem and this question. It's the problem of pain, of suffering, of difficulty, and death. What do we do with this? This is not just a problem for the person of faith who says, I believe in a good God. It's a problem for the atheist, too. Because the reality is, all of us are trying to make sense of the world around us. We all experience beauty and disappointment. The question is, how do we experience this? Now, Francis Schaeffer, who's a theologian and philosopher, in 1976, he wrote a book on the history and the rise of Western thought. And when it comes to Western thought from the Enlightenment onward and into the Renaissance, again, with all of this human ingenuity and the the progressive nature by which humans were advancing as a people. And he calls this idea humanism. Humanism, the idea that somehow with us, each of us, with our ingenuity and our smarts and our good looks and whatever we have at our disposal, that humans can overcome anything. I mean, that's essentially the point of humanism, this idea that we can triumph on our own. And yet, like I said, with all the advancements of society, why is it that the human heart is still so desperately longing and wondering, what do I do with pain and suffering? And that's why Schaeffer asked the question, how should we then live? And the question that confronts us too, each one of us, whenever we feel the pangs of disappointment, doesn't it? Now, here's the thing. Remember, sin entered the world by Adam and Eve taking from the tree and then covering themselves in shame. Showing that now this broken relationship that started with the tree and now ending with shame. And the question is, what's God's response? How does God respond in Genesis chapter three? Look at what it says. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, here's what's puzzling about this question. There's something called the incommunicable attributes of God. Incommunicable attributes of God basically mean attributes that only God has. Human beings don't share in these kinds of attributes. So attributes like his omnipresence, God is everywhere. Or his omniscience, God knows all things. And this this is kind of what scripture tells us about who God is. Now if God is omnipresent, God is omniscient, why does he ask this question, where are you? What's he trying to do? God, do you not know where your creative beings are? See, because inherent in this question, it's a question of pursuit. Pursuit. Of a God who's searching for his children who have somehow now been saddled with shame and fear and blame. There's a God who's now begun his pursuit to win his children back. And the story of the scriptures is a story of a God who is constantly pursuing and searching. More disappointments would come, more beauty would come, more disappointments would come. The question is, how do people navigate this kind of life? And the story of God is a story where God has always been pursuing and chasing and loving. Now, some of you, you grew up with this conception of God. Oh yeah, God is a God who pursues me. He comes to pursue me, to punish me. You know what's so startling about Jesus In John chapter three, verse 17, it says, for God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but he actually came to send him to save the world. See, in Jesus, Jesus embodies the pursuit of God, the personal, relentless, relentless, chasing pursuit of God. He's always been coming after you and me. And see, when Jesus comes into the world, the Gospel of Luke says he came to seek and to save. Some of you are like, no, no, it's more like seek and destroy. No, 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 it's not. It's seek to save because that has always been God's heart and disposition towards you and me. See, ever since Adam took from the tree, he covered in shame. Jesus Christ would die on a cross, naked and vulnerable for the world to see. It's the great reversal. The great reversal that the pursuit of God would culminate in Jesus himself hanging on a cross, naked and ashamed, if you can go to the image, demonstrating to you and to me there is nothing that would ever keep God from pursuing you, from chasing you. He would give his own life just so that you might know that what, in whatever circumstance of beauty and disappointment you and I face, that you would know that there's a God who is full of love and of grace and of healing for you, that in your moments of deepest despair, that in your moments of dysregulation, of shame, of fear, or of blame, it's a God who's been pursuing you. In your moments of loneliness and depression, in your moments of even today, wherever you are in your life, whatever illness, whatever uh, thing you're battling with relationship issues, whatever financial worries, In in many ways, the, the pursuit of God is the pursuit of God coming, taking on flesh, dying for you as evidence. That if there's anything about God's posture towards the ones he loves, is that he's pursuing you. He longs to be present with you. Here's what the Apostle Peter writes to the church in Asia Minor. He says he used his servant body, this is Jesus, to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds become your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. This is the pursuit of God. For whatever reason that you made yourself into this room today, what if it was because right now with all that you're going through in your life, the worries financially, the worries with your families, the loneliness that you carry, the disappointments that have inhabited your life over the past days or weeks or months, what if today it was so that you might hear this word, the God of heaven and earth, He's been asking this question, where are you? And he's been chasing you, pursuing you, and wanting to remind you that he wants to fill your heart with the fullness of his love so that you might know that whatever circumstance you go through, there's a God of heaven and earth who has loved you from the start and has not given up in pursuing you.